Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Sam. And this week, we are diving into my favorite book of the series, (laughs) um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So this podcast, we're splitting it up now from this point on, so each book will have two episodes devoted to it. Potentially more when we get into Company of Fire, though, to be real. Potentially more, but we're shooting for two. Um, But for this one, it will be two. So today, we will be talking about chapters one through eleven. So, yeah, basically just the beginning, Harry getting to Hogwarts, but we'll jump into that in a second. Sam, do you want to introduce our drink of the week? Yeah, so this week, our drink of the week is tying into this episode because it is called the Patronus Charm Cocktail, which, of course, all of us are familiar with the Patronus Charm and its introduction in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. But if you're not familiar, just a recap, it is that the Patronus is the most famous and famously difficult defensive charm. The aim is to produce a silvery-white guardian or protector, which takes the form of an animal. The exact form of the Patronus will not be apparent until the spell has been successfully cast. As one of the most powerful defensive charms known to wizard kind, the Patronus can also be used as a messenger between wizards. As a pure, protective, magical concentration of happiness and hope, the recollection of a single talisman memory is essential in its creation. It is the only spell effective against Dementors. The majority of witches and wizards are unable to produce Patronuses, and to do so is generally considered a mark of superior magical ability, and this all came from Pottermore describing the Patronus charm. So, this week, we decided to make a Patronus charm cocktail to um, just highlight the significance of this charm in Prisoner of Azkaban. So, for our cocktail, it is two shots of either white rum or silver tequila, Two shots of that blue shit that I still can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> One shot of blueberry syrup, or just like blueberry pancake syrup. Half shot of lemon lime juice and uh, like soda water. So, Emily, thoughts? So, um, I made mine with tequila, um, and then I l- forgot soda water, so I'm actually using. Um, lime Perrier. I decided to just combine that and take <laughs> you away the, fancy. the lime juice. <laughs> um, honestly, you can barely taste the alcohol. It kind of just tastes like water to me. And I, I don't know if that's like because I made it wrong. <laughs> like, or, like sparkling water? Yeah, it just tastes like sparkling water. Like it tastes like a white claw, basically. So that's interesting. I don't know if it's because my water is just, like, really strong. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I – you can definitely at first taste a tequila aftertaste, but that kind of goes away as you keep drinking it. I It is a very pretty cocktail. Um, yeah. Kind of reminds me of the Ravenclaw a little bit. But it's very smooth, and I think maybe that's the point of it mm-hmm. because, you know, the Patronus Charm – when I think of it, um, 
is kind of a comforting kind of thing. It's not like, you know, over the top. It's your happiest memory. It's something that's going to like make you feel comfortable. And I think that this drink is comfortable. Doesn't make me feel like, ugh, I can't wait for this to be over, you know? So. Yeah. It's also like, what's the word? Like translucent, I guess. Right. Airy. It's very airy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I actually use the rum. So it's a little, I can taste it more, like not just in the aftertaste, Mm -hmm. but it gives it like a sweeter taste. So it's, it's not quite to me just the taste of like soda water, but right, yeah. It also it all, I also am reminded of the Ravenclaw cocktail. Yeah, but that I might mean, just be because of this blue shit in it. It's yeah, it's a little less I would say uh, tonicy as that one because like a tonic, like a gin and tonic or a vodka tonic has a very right like distinct taste. This is a little right. different. I, yeah, it's more airy, like we said. Um, goes down very easy so (laughs) just beware and then my bottoms up yeah my concoction i split it between two glasses so this definitely makes enough for you and someone else to drink um which i think is kind of fun so yeah yeah let us know what you think make it with your friends and then listen to this podcast okay so moving right along because we probably have a lot to get to right Let's do a quick round of Shag, Mary Kill with uh, a oh few of the first characters that we meet. <laughs> oh, Sam put these together. So <laughs> I think she just likes to, like, make me want to throw up. I want to make it interesting. It's Clearly. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emily, Shag, Mary Kill, Vernon Dursley, Aunt Marge, or Stan Shunpike. Oh, my God. So, basically, like, two of the worst people and a Death Eater, like, who, like, isn't a Death Eater but is a Death Eater and also... Okay, but Stan Shunpike and Prisoner of Azkaban, pre-Death Eater uh, phase. Also, okay, so I read most of this, obviously, when I was moving um, in the car, and Karn was like, read it out loud, so I did, and... Did you do Stan's accent? I couldn't read his parts. His Cockney accent. It was so, like, I was like, I'm just going to read this in, like, regular English, and, like, I I can't do it, because I... What's regular English? American. American. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just couldn't do, like, the dialect or whatever, so I just, like, didn't Can I just hear it? Will you just read a page in your regular English accent? My regular English? No. No. Um, yeah, sure. Let me find it. <laughs> okay, well, answer it first, and we'll get into okay. it. Okay. Yeah, once we get into it, I'll read one of Stan's lines. <laughs> but not in okay. his accent, because I can't. Okay. Um, well, I'll have a Stan read-off. Shag, Mary kill. I would... Oh, my God, I'm going to puke everywhere. Um, <laughs> I, I would shag Vernon, I guess. Oh. <laughs> Mary Stan and kill Aunt Marge. I, I don't know. I hate Aunt Marge. I think she's, like... One of the most, di- she's up there with Umbridge. Like I, yeah. she's just disgusting. And like her whole personality, it's because of her personality. I mean, clearly she's not like made out to be an attractive person, but also just her personality like makes me want to vomit. So uh, yeah, I would. I think we her. should do a top ten worst characters episode. We should. And like honestly, <laughs> she's like my number three. So you know. Oh yeah. What so, about you? 
Um, <laughs> you know, I, I put this together, but I didn't really think it through. Yeah. Um, there's no good answer, but I think that I would shag Stan, marry Vernon, and kill Anne Marge. I mean, yeah. I mean, at least Vernon has a stable job, you know? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem like he's, like, bad to Petunia. He's really just abusive to Harry. Right. And, I mean, I highly doubt that they're fucking on a regular basis, so. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't even want to think about that. All righty. So, I hope that scarred all of you as much as it scarred me. I'll pick next week. Um, Yeah. So I guess we should just move on into our poll results, which aren't poll results because we had a question of the week again. Um, so the question of the week was, what is your favorite part of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? So personally, for me, there are so many great parts. I mm-hmm. think my favorite part is like the development of Harry, Ron, and Hermione's friendship because I think at this point in the book, they're really like blossoming into young adults. Um And their relationships are changing, and I think that's awesome. Also, Lupin, and then, of course, Sirius at the end, Harry learning his father's backstory, the twins, just all of it. Yeah. This whole book, like, rereading it, I was like, yeah, this is still my favorite. Like, (laughs) love it. Yeah, honestly, for me, you know, I've always said that Deathly Hallows is my favorite book, and you know, it still might be when I get there, but rereading this one, I've got, like, such a new appreciation for it. Like, I always loved it, but I feel like I always just sped through the books, right? Like, I was just so plot-driven right. when I was reading that now that I'm rereading and I am, like, looking for minute details that I'm really, like, just blown away by J.K.'s writing in this book. Yeah, I feel it like definitely she's, took off She's definitely, book. like, hit her stride, and... um I my favorite parts I guess would be first the marauders and getting the backstory of Harry's parents a little bit more and kind of getting to know the history a little bit more and also just the development of Harry as a person and as a wizard mm-hmm. like he is faced with something that he's really bad at right up front and that's like facing dementors right and I think one of my favorite moments in the book which I don't know if we're going to get into it in this one because it's it, during the uh, Quidditch match where he actually produces a Patronus for the first time. And he, like, just does it without thinking. And I think that's probably my favorite moment aside from Sirius giving him that one shining ray of hope of, like, coming to live with him once all right. that was done. Cool. So let's hear from you guys. So on Facebook... Um I'll just shout out a few of these. Actually, I'll read as many as I can, because we also have a lot on Instagram. Oh, you got time. We're splitting this into two, you know. So, okay. So, meeting serious. Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. Yes. The fact that there's no Voldemort but sets up a support network for Harry, Lupin, Sirius for the rest of the Mm -hmm. series. That's one huge reason I love this book, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Sirius Black is my favorite part. Some of the fan fiction I've written is my evidence. Please send us your fan fiction. I want to yeah. read that. Yes. Then you should have died. Died rather than betray your friends, as we would have done for you. This is where I wish JK would have just let Sirius go all Frank Castle on Peter Pettigrew. Um, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Also, that is one of the best quotes, I think, of the whole series. Um, mm-hmm. Everything. Yes. Epic Quidditch Cup comeback. 
Harry having the feeling of a real family, discovering the truth about him, uh, Sirius, James, Lupin, and Pettigrew. The scene which is illustrated, which is referring to the picture we posted with this, which is Sirius flying away on Buckbeak. Um, when Snape takes the Marauder's map from Harry and tries to find out what it's about and then it insults <laughs> him. Yes, hilarious. And in the movie, when we review that, Alan Rickman just does a phenomenal job with that whole scene, I think. Mm-hmm. The Marauder, and on Instagram now, the Marauder's... When Hermione takes all the classes, falls asleep because she's so tired and doesn't explain to anyone. <laughs> uh, when Malfoy gets his stupid effing face. <laughs> when F- <laughs> I'm sorry. When Malfoy gets kicked in his stupid effing face by my boy Buckbeak. <laughs> um, when Harry casts his first ever Patronus during the Quidditch match. When Sirius talks to Harry after the Shrieking Shack about coming to live with him. Buckbeak. Harry casting his full Patronus by the lake. Everything related to Lupin, an acceptable answer, lol. Yes, it <laughs> yes, is. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, the backstory of the Marauders. First time Harry enters Remus's office. The backstory of Remus and Sirius. You know. So basically, yeah. everyone loves it for the same reasons we do. I also really like it because... I think this is the first time Harry really stands up for himself with the Dursleys, which I guess he we'll just get goes into off. now. Yeah. So all Harry is so he's Harry is the sassiest character in this series, hands down. And in this book, he really comes into that sass. He was listening to some like Blink One Eighty Two before Aunt March came over. He was. He and was just all angst. There's like a quote I love. It's later. It's when they're in divination, and he like blurt something out i'll have to get to it when we get to that chapter and he's like it even shocked himself <laughs> like yeah this boy is becoming so sassy that he's literally shocking himself with his comments he's just not giving a fuck anymore he really doesn't give a fuck in this book all right so okay. let's let's dive right in with chapter one Owl Post. all right my first note is on Page eight. Do you have anything before that you would like to talk about? I like that Ron called him. I think that's funny. <laughs> I had forgotten about that part because um, it had been a while since I've read these books again. And mm-hmm. I had forgotten about that part. And I was like cracking up, like just like picturing Uncle Vernon like freaking out and Ron just like screaming at him. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, that part was really funny. So, the first thing that I kind of noted was when, you know, in the beginning of the book, J.K. always gives, like, a slight backstory, and she's talking about the Dursley family of number four, Privet Drive, and the reason why Harry never enjoyed his summer holidays was because he lived with them, um, and that... For years, Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon had hoped that if they kept Harry as downtrodden as possible, they would be able to squash the magic out of him. To their fury, they had been unsuccessful and now lived in terror of anyone finding out that Harry had spent most of the last two years at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So I feel like this ties in um, to like the whole question if Harry could have been an Obscurus because of just that line right there i feel like that's pretty much the definition of what fosters an obscurus um so if that's how harry felt about that and that's how it's being portrayed then i could see just based off those lines like why 
people might think that Harry should be an Obscurus. Right. But I guess I just go back to the fact that Obscurus, Obscurials are usually super, super fucking powerful from a young age. Right. And I think Harry, while he did present magical abilities, they weren't like super crazy it was like his hair growing fast and him just like jumping and landing on the roof right i think also i mean i'm not i'm not for sure about this because honestly obscurus like they're new to the canon so we don't know a whole lot about them but from you know the two that we do know about i feel like personally they have to endure a lot of trauma that they can actually physically remember yeah and like harry can't remember his trauma so, because he was a baby. Yeah, so I just, I don't think he's an Obscurus or an Obscurus just because of the fact that he, like, did not grow up in a traumatic situation. I mean, yes, the Dursleys were awful people, but, I mean, yeah, they were more, like, verbally abusive than they were anything else, so. And he also didn't know that he was magical up right. front. Right. You know, like, he was just like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> How'd I do that? Whereas, like, I feel like Obscurus feel from the start that someone's trying to, like, squash the magic out of them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I just noted that because I was like, oh, interesting. Well, we've had a few people ask us why. Um, yeah. So maybe that will answer your question. We don't really know, but hopefully we'll- <laughs> It's basically the same answer, but, oh, yeah. look, there's more evidence that maybe he could be one. Yeah. So the next thing for me... And stop me if I'm going too far, but it's on page 12. And it's when Harry has, uh, I guess, gotten a package from Errol. And it has a daily profit clipping mm-hmm. of Ron's family in Egypt. And he sees scabbers in the picture. It's on Ron's shoulder and his arm, his arms around Jenny and he's got scabbers on his shoulder. I'm just like, that lucky little rat gets to go to Egypt and you know first of all it like this is the first mention of scabbers in this book which is like the first easter egg that we get of him because he plays a huge role throughout the course of this entire book like he's mentioned so many times and so much attention is brought to him and this is just the first time um but also i just got pissed that peter pettigrew got a free trip to egypt (laughs) but also in ron's letter to harry he says his last line is, don't let the muggles get you down, which I feel like is just a mood all in one and my favorite. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. And I also have a sweatshirt that says that, um, that <laughs> Samantha bought me many years ago. Um, so yeah, that was one of my first notes too. I also love that Ron is the one who got him the sneakoscope and mm-hmm. um, that there's already some foreshadowing Yes. Because it lit up, which means that someone who is untrustworthy is around. And Bill says, it's rubbish sold for wizard tourists and isn't reliable because it kept lighting up at dinner. And so Ron blames this on Fred and George playing a prank on him. But really, and as we see throughout this entire book, whenever Scabbers is around, this thing goes nuts. Yep, goes off. You know, and I also think, just back to your point of, you know, Scabbers being mentioned... He has mentioned more in this book than in the past two combined. In the entire series and up to this point, yeah. Right. So, like, you definitely, I think, like, reading back and knowing, like, what's about to go down, 
they're definitely like they're not even like breadcrumbs these are like full baguettes that she leaves you and she's like you need to pay attention to scabbers please pay attention to scabbers like there's definitely huge hints thrown at you um and it all starts in this very first chapter but i also love that this is the first birthday that harry gets presents you know i can definitely see like why because he grew up with the dursleys who like clearly didn't care about his birthday but i love that his friends like are making this effort to make him feel special yeah and you know hermione he's expecting like this boring book and she really tries to like give him something he'll actually like want and need and gives him the broomstick servicing kit Mm -hmm. so i just think it's just a really special moment for harry especially and then he's gifted the monster book of monsters as well. <laughs> well, I think especially since, you know, it contradicts the year before when he had heard nothing and gotten nothing from his friends and felt right. like they didn't care about him at all. Right. I just think it's a really special moment. And I love that we always open up pretty much on his birthday. So we can see the progression since, you know, the first birthday when he finds out he's a wizard to now. So... Right. It's just a special progression. This drink really does taste like air. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) Really, I don't have that much next until he blows up Aunt Marge. Because now we're in chapter two. Um, I do like that he, you know, kind of bargains with Uncle Vernon about signing his permission Mm -hmm. slip. I think that he's really using his power... Um, in a very particular way <laughs> in this chapter. I like, mean, it's smart, right? It's so smart. Like, he's definitely blackmailing him, but it's it's so smart the way he's doing this because he knows, like, under any circumstance, this is never going to happen for him. Like, they're never going to sign this permission slip. They don't care, and they don't want him to have fun. And so I, I just think it's a really good and smart thing that he's doing, and I think it shows, too, that we really... You know, we get to see Harry, like, thinking on his feet when he's fighting. But other than that, we really don't. And I think yeah. it's, like, nice to kind of see that side of him. I think he's also just, like, developing as a person. You know, like, he's yes. going to school and he's not just learning how to be a wizard. He's learning how to be an adult. Like, he's right. growing up. Mm-hmm. And he's standing up for himself more, like we said earlier. Um, right. Yeah, so pretty much, you know... He blows up Aunt Marge because she's a huge bitch. Um, she keeps, I love like, that this making... chapter two is called Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. <laughs> Big mistake, Huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, she basically just keeps insulting Harry and his parents over and over again. I mean, like, honestly, how much could any of us take of that, right? I would have blown up at her, like, no pun intended. I would have blown up at her, like, way before Harry lost it. Yeah, well, in his mind, like, the only thing keeping him strong was his Hogsmeade vis- visits. Yeah, I would have so. been like, whatever, I'm forging this shit. Like, you're <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, how would McGonagall have known if he just forged it? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe they do some, like, anti-forge spell when they check them over, but, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, so he blows up his aunt, and he's like, fuck this place, I'm leaving. He, well, and he knows that he's in huge-ass trouble if he doesn't leave. So right. he basically runs away, grabs his trunk and all this shit, and hits the road. And, he's out. Um, 
he starts panicking once he leaves, like once the adrenaline wears off and he's like, oh, well, what am I going to do now? Like the Ministry of Magic's probably after me. I just used magic. Right. Um, like I'm going to go to jail. Like this is my second strike. So um, as he's freaking out about this, he like sees a pair of eyes and, you know, he's like getting even more scared. And then the night bus pulls up and now it's time for our Stan Shunpike impressions. Oh, good Lord. So now we meet Stan, who's, like, arguably the most annoying fucking character of this entire series. <laughs> and he speaks very broken English. I don't know. I I don't know. I can't I don't do know it. much. I'm not, like, an expert in British accents, but when I watched that show Love Island, which is, like, a British reality dating show, they refer to, I believe, what his accent is, at least portrayed in the movie, as a Cockney accent. So, like, Dick Van Dyke tried to do in um, the first yes, Mary Poppins. tried and failed. Yes. That makes more sense. I guess, I don't know, I guess I need to do more research into English dialects. I guess it would be, like, you know, how people have country accents versus, like, a Boston accent. Like, you know, I guess you just really don't think about that if you're not from that country, that they can have different accents within the country. I guess I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But... Definitely can't read this part, but definitely some cool <laughs> things happen on this bus. He learns more about Sirius Black. He tells him that his name is Neville because clearly Harry doesn't care about Neville. <laughs> like, you looking at? You looking at? You uh, fall over? What's for? that on your head? <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry if this offends you. I. That's why I fun. just read it in my regular English when I was doing that but anyway so i like in the book how she sprinkles in information about cirrus black you're not learning about it when you're like sneaking around into the three broomsticks right you're learning about it throughout the series and the first time you know we really learn about it is on the night bus and he really gets to hear like a bunch of people's perspectives on this which i think is really important because he kind of gets to draw his own conclusions a little bit yeah but anyway He reads about Black being at large, and then Stan basically says he's scary looking, isn't he? But (laughs) in his own voice. And then, you know, you go on a crazy ride on the night bus, which I love that scene in the movie. Yes. Um, We'll get to that next week. But, yeah, I, I mean, I really don't have anything other than him learning about serious black and then once he yeah. gets to the leaky cauldron uh fudge is like oh it's fine <laughs> like you're yeah, fine don't worry about it yeah which directly contradicts his reaction in a couple more books but and yeah, his I mean, like whole personality the- like i feel like and i get it like everyone wants to keep harry safe because he literally is a symbol of hope for the entire wizarding community at this point but Like, also, this boy needs some consequence. Like, he did blow someone up. I don't know. Like, not to be expelled at all. But, like, he, like, Harry, everything comes so easy to him. Like, he just gets a slap on the wrist for every, like, He could have at least gotten, like, a stern talking to and just, like, all right, Harry, like, we're going to let this slide because, like, a mass murderer is trying to kill you. Right. And we don't want you just, like, running around by yourself and another, like, crazy tragedy on our hands. But you also have to, like, learn how to control your emotions and, like, not 
and control your magic and just not blow up people whenever they piss you off. Right. Because, like, you can't do that in the grown-up world. Exactly. But then he gets to run around Diagon Alley. This part makes me so happy. Me too. And he's just, like, living at the Leaky Cauldron. And he's, like, getting in bowls of ice cream every day and just gets to explore. Yeah, he gets to feel like a normal little wizard kid. Little orphan wizard kid. But nonetheless, he gets to go stare at the fireball every day. And it's just a really happy couple weeks for Harry. Yeah. And then... You know, he runs into some of his school friends throughout the week or so, and then he runs into Ron and Hermione. They meet up, and I love when they meet up, because this is when we get to meet Crookshanks, who's the only cat that I will ever love. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not a cat person. But, again, we are force-fed that Scabbers, something is wrong with Scabbers, and we are made to believe that it is Crookshanks now, and that's who Ron will continue to blame. Right. Well, first, it's just like a a typical cat and mouse type of situation. Right. I think when it's, like, repeatedly drilled into our head is when you're like, oh, okay. But it really does, like, tie into the theory about Lily's cat being Crookshanks. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. I was going to bring that up, too. And also the, like, foreshadowing that Scabbers really is Pettigrew because the shop owner was, like, really surprised at how old he was and was saying, like, a common rat like him wouldn't be expected to live longer than three years. So I'm just like, honestly, were Arthur and Molly not paying attention that this rat had survived for so long? Like, did they think that was normal? Honestly, they have their hands, they have their hands so full. Okay, but somebody, like, even Percy, Bill, Charlie, somebody could have, like, noticed, oh, this, this rat's, like, really fucking old. Yeah. How is he just alive? You're right. I don't know. It's, like super funny though because percy is head boy and fred and george just are like grilling him about it and it's uh, very entertaining and then you know harry gets to be one of the weasleys which is one of his favorite things to do and then he overhears an argument slash conversation between mrs weasley and mr weasley about sirius black and you know mr weasley really wants to tell harry about Sirius Black and what's going on. But Mrs. Weasley really just wants to protect Harry's childhood. And God bless her for that, because someone needs to want to protect Harry's childhood. (laughs) Um, Because no one else seems to give a fuck. Like, they really don't. So, you know, fast forward, they're getting on the train, whatever, and then before they do, Mr. Weasley does pull him aside and tell him, a bit about Sirius Black, even though he's already heard the conversation, and he almost misses the train, but Ron pulls him on the train, and then we meet Lupin. Yeah, and the Dementors for the first time, really, is like the big part of that, when the Dementors come in the train, and they're searching for Sirius Black, and basically they attack Harry, and Harry has his first, like, reaction to the Dementors, which he didn't know until he woke up that he was the only one that they affected that way. But, you know, even after his reaction to the Dementors, I think what made it worse was that he had to deal with Malfoy making fun of him about it. Fucking Malfoy. And Malfoy asked Harry if what Neville says is true about Harry fainting on the train. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a very Neville Longbottom thing to do, just going around telling everybody, especially Malfoy. 
I think he probably just overheard Neville. Neville was probably, like, super concerned and, like, was telling, like, Dean or Seamus or one of the Gryffindors. I don't yeah, think... Yeah, I'm gonna choose to believe that. I don't think it was, like, <laughs> Neville going around being like, Harry fainted! I think, like... Did he, you hear what happened to Harry? I think he was just, like, genuinely concerned about his well-being. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I just don't find Neville to be a malicious person. He, yeah, he wouldn't just, like, go running off and telling the biggest bully information just to be the one to have the information. That's not his personality, right? Right. Like, so it's definitely just he was worried mm-hmm. and Malfoy jumped at the sound of Harry's name being mentioned and fainting in the same sentence. Then Professor McGonagall pulls Harry and Hermione aside and asks Harry if he's all right and then gives Hermione the time trainer but we don't know that yet she just pulls her aside to talk to her about yeah, the schedule holds her back yeah then they are welcomed by dumbledore they're told about lupin and then i have this quote pulled out to mention so it is on page 93 in chapter five it says look at snape ron hissed in harry's ear professor snape the potions master was staring along the staff table at professor lupin it was common knowledge that Snape wanted the defense against the dark arts job, but even Harry, who hated Snape, was startled at the expression twisting his thin, sallow face. It was beyond anger. It was loathing. Harry knew that expression all too well. It was the look Snape wore every time he set eyes on Harry. So, this is our first kind of look into, clearly there's some history here between Snape and Lupin, or he just, like, really hates this guy and also i think it's interesting that he points out that that's the same look that like exact same look that snape has when he looks at him because when he looks at Mm -hmm. him he sees james right so i think this is our first kind of peep into the history between the marauders and and snape yeah for sure and then hagrid is announced to be a professor oh yeah (laughs) big moves he's making big moves what a glow up for hagrid (laughs) Shout out to our <laughs> Queer Eye post about Hagrid. Yes, we're gonna... Oh my god, yeah, so much Mountain Man face right now. We got Gorgeous. asked to sort them, so this week we will be posting our decisions on their houses. So stay <laughs> tuned for that. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so then they're gonna start up with their classes, and they get their new timetables, mm-hmm. and Ron is like frowning at Hermione's ta- timetable, and he's like... They've messed up your timetable. Look, they've got you down for about 10 subjects a day. There isn't enough time. And she's like, I'll manage. I fixed it all with Professor McGonagall. And that's just like our first hint of like knowing how busy Hermione's going to be. And like no one's concerned about it besides pretty much Ron. When he's just like, how is she doing all of this? She's got so many books. And like, how are you here? You weren't even in that class. And anyways, right. that's just our first clue. And we see that almost as much as we see the scabbers foreshadowing throughout the rest of this book. True. Um, so then they go to divination. Um, Broaden your minds. I hate divination as much <laughs> as Hermione does. I mean, I I just feel like, you know, Trevani, yes, she was right in a lot of her predictions when it came to Harry, but mm-hmm. I think the fact that, you know, once everyone's, like, freaked out that Harry is just going to, like, keel over dead, like, McGonagall's like, oh, she predicts this every single year that one of her students will die. 
Like, what? Like, you're predicting this to a bunch of 13-year-olds that one of them's gonna die? <laughs> like, that. Yeah. that's just, like, kind of twisted, if you ask me. Like, I think it would be more interesting if she actually, like, gave them an actual prediction. You know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just yeah, being too hard on it. But they're 13. Like, you don't need to be telling them that they're gonna die. But I also love what McGonagall says about her <laughs> because, she, well, she says... If it were not for the fact that I never speak ill of my colleagues when she was talking about Trelawney and then when she says that, I think that just makes the scene in Order of the Phoenix mean a lot more when she actually sticks up for her in front of Umbridge. Right. Because, like, she does not like this girl either. And she's like, ugh, you're just such a phony. And, well, you like, know, you she's know, a you're Hermione. You're just a potster. She's a yeah. more logical she's by logical. the She's logical. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that things were so bad that she was like, no, you're not going to be mean to her. Right. Anyways, um, but I am confused by the grim omen. Okay. So Harry sees the grim omen in the clouds in the, in the Quidditch match. And he thinks that he has seen it as serious, serious on Privet Drive. Or at least I thought it was serious on Privet Drive when he like fell over. I think it was. Yeah. So I'm just confused by like, is it actually the grim omen or is it just Sirius that everyone's seeing all the time? And if that's the case, like, how does Sirius, like, project his, like, face into the clouds as a dog? Like, I don't, I'm just confused by the whole concept of it in general. Or if it actually is an omen, just, like, for Harry's death way later, but then he never sees the grim omen ever again after this, this book. book. Yeah. I think that on Privet Drive, it definitely was Sirius, 100%. I think Sirius after he went got out of Azkaban, went straight there and kept an eye on Harry. That's what I think. Um, okay. I think in the clouds, I think that was his imagination. I think at this point, he is, like, so kind of freaked out. Because, yeah, yeah she predicts this every year, but, like, I have shit happen to me every year. So, like, if it's going to be right about anyone, it's going to be me. And I think okay. that maybe the Dementors also had something to do with it, with them coming I, I'm not really sure. I do think that whenever he physically sees the Grimm, it is serious. Okay. I don't know. I It's just, like, very... Because, you know, Ron talks about his Uncle Billius that, um, you know, saw a Grimm and then died a week later. And, you know, are there Grimms running around? Are there more Animagi? I don't know. Also, rounding back to Animagi... When they're in McGonagall's class, none of them are reacting to the fact that she's an Annie May guy. But that is also a breadcrumb that J.K. Rowling throws in there Mm -hmm. so that we understand what this means later in the book. Yeah, for sure. And then they also, we kind of grazed over it because I jumped to Harry seeing the Grimm in the Quidditch match, but um, they learn how to... Perform the spell Ridiculous in Lupin's class yes. with the Boggart in the wardrobe. And we actually see Lupin's greatest fear, which is our first clue to him. Which is the, the moon. Werewolf. But everyone thinks it's a crystal ball, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Malfoy gets kicked by Buckbeak, but that happens before the Boggarts. But it's important to mention because that's going to cause some trouble for Hagrid. But yeah. Malfoy, like, this is before, I guess, like, Harry kind of takes a break from, like, blaming everything on Malfoy in this book. Yeah, which is good. He needed that. So, like, that's kind of nice. But, like, 
he's such a little like twerp like he gets what's coming to him <laughs> can't stand him i feel like tom felton made him more of an appealing character but like in these books he's just a like he's just a jerk he's just he mad because he's the spotlight's not on him but i digress um yeah but more about malfoy he got out of a quidditch match because of his like injury mm-hmm. i think it's important to point out that right before the quidditch match um lupin falls ill so snape naturally takes over and covers the class for him and the whole class is about werewolves so that's another peek yeah. into that was another big foreshadowing right. moment but during the quidditch match harry you know sees the grim omen but then the dementors swarm in yep. and he actually falls off his broom and um that is just like a big thing because they lost the match to hufflepuff and cedric degree blossom feels really bad <laughs> that they even won yes and this is the first time we hear about cedric and all the girls mm-hmm. are swooning mm-hmm. um and you also see that he's a really good guy like he's like oh yeah oof. he wanted a rematch he didn't realize that harry yeah. had fallen off his broom He's like, that wasn't a fair fight. Like, I want a rematch, but no one would give it to him. So I think it's just important to show, again, qualities of a Hufflepuff, but also just that he's a good person overall and that Mm -hmm. it's going to be even sadder when he dies. But I don't even remember – I didn't even remember him as being part of this book. No, I didn't either. I mean, when we were reading before, it's more important that Harry – fell and that his nimbus went straight into the whomping willow and that it was just like a big deal that he didn't have a broomstick right um and that you know that was such an issue with the dementors and going back i think also it's important to note this passage of the book which harry says right when harry's falling and before he wakes up in the hospital wing so someone was screaming screaming inside his head a woman not harry not harry please not harry Stand aside, you silly girl. Stand aside now. Not Harry. Please, no. Take me. Kill me instead. Numbing, swirling white mist was filling Harry's brain. What was he doing? Why was he flying? He needed to help her. She was going to die. She was going to be murdered. He was falling. Falling through the icy mist. Not Harry. Please. Have mercy. Have mercy. A shrill voice was laughing. The woman was screaming. And Harry knew no more. This is so important. Yeah. Because this is the first time that we're, like, seeing a peek really into what happened with Lily, like, sacrificing herself for Harry. Like, Voldemort was trying to get her to stand aside. He, I don't think he was going to kill her. I'll be 100 I think he would have I mean, I think her. he might have. But I think he was, like, just going for Harry. I think he was going to kill everyone who got in his way of that. And, like, clearly she's not going to sacrifice her son. But he did kind of give her the opportunity if she would have stepped aside. Right. But even after he killed her, she would have been like, ah, I hate you, and, like, would have tried to kill him, and he would have killed her. That's true. That's true. But I think it's just important um, because it's Harry remembering what happened. And I think this book is a lot about Harry learning about that chapter of his life and, like, kind of putting pieces together. So it kind of sets the tone for that night even more so. And it's super eerie super eerie he keeps getting more and more little details about it every single time right and i know it's because the dementors are like affecting him in a way they don't affect anyone else because he has this trauma it's just interesting i think that he's now remembering it more so yeah so then he wakes up and he's like well shit my broom was gone and we lost the match and 
all that sucks, but then to make matters worse, the Hogsmeade village is coming up, or visit is coming up, and it's not the first one. He already missed the first one, I'm pretty sure. Yes, he did. But the Halloween one. He, yes, but he runs into Fred and George, who give him a no, no, little bit no. of festive cheer. Fred and George. <laughs> Fred and George. <laughs> who bestow upon him an early Christmas gift. And they said that they found it in Filch's office under a drawer that they couldn't help noticing was marked confiscated and highly dangerous. So what it actually ended up being was the Marauder's Map, which obviously is a huge part of this book because it is named after at least two of, or really three of the Marauders, which are a huge part of this book. And it helps Harry go through the One-Eyed Witch passageway into Hogsmeade. Right. And he has no idea that he's holding a piece of parchment that originally belonged to his father. Which is... And his father's cronies. It's just so beautiful. It's, I know. It's just the fact it that... It makes me sad. Yeah. I mean, his dad definitely would have passed this along to him. Yeah. I'm really curious, though. My question on my note of this was, how did they learn how to, like, open it? That's what that was my question. How did Fred and George learn how to work this? Right. Like maybe they just did tried they a just bunch like of say stuff, random shit until it was just like we solemnly swear that we are up to no good. Please let us like be up to no good. Right. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I thought that too. And then um, there's a little bit of foreshadowing in the same vein when they. They were talking about how um, Sirius Black could have gotten into Hogwarts, and he's like, "There, he can't be getting in through a passage. There are seven secret tunnels on the map, and Fred and George reckon Filch only knows about four of them, and the other three, one of them's caved in, so no one would get through it. One of them's got the Whomping Willow planted over its entrance, so you can't get out of it, and the one I just came through, well, it's really hard to see the entrance to it down in the cellar, so unless he knew it was there, and I think this is just a foreshadowing on JK's part. And also just, like, that Sirius did know it was there, clearly, because he was one of the Marauders. Because he's Padfoot. But yeah, yeah, then they are, you know, having a butterbeer and everything, and Harry overhears um, Fudge, McGonagall, Flitwick, and Hagrid, and Madame Rose Marta talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is important, and I'll talk about this next week more, Um I think it's important that Ron and Hermione are with him during this. Yeah. I think it's really important that he didn't hear this by himself breathing creepily under the invisibility cloak. Like, I think it's really important. Um, so basically, we learn about what happened or what people think happened between um, Black and Pettigrew. And that people think that Black was the secret keeper who betrayed James and Lily. So yeah. I just think it also brings into perspective for Ron and Hermione that, oh, shit, this is our next thing. Like, he's definitely going to go after him. Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah. they already know that. They don't even, <laughs> I mean, you can just kind of tell the mood, the whole mood changes. So it also, again, opens it up for Harry to have more backstory and to learn more about his parents. You know, this is mm-hmm. clearly the tragic side of learning about what happened, but He's learning. And then he's mad. He's a why hadn't 
why had nobody ever told him? Dumbledore, Hagrid, Mr. Weasley, Cornelius Fudge. Why hadn't anyone ever mentioned the fact that Harry's parents had died because their best friend had betrayed them? So, I just think this is, like, earth-shattering, obviously, for Harry. Right. And probably Ron and Hermione, too, because, you know, they don't know if this could potentially change how Harry trusts them. Yeah. Well, Harry just feels betrayed by, like, everybody right now Mm -hmm. by not knowing this about Black. Um, Right. He's especially mad at Hagrid. So, they decide to go down to Hagrid's and to visit him, and Harry is, like, all up in arms, and he's going to confront him about this. But when they get there, Hagrid's, like, crying, and he's just, like, in complete disarray because Buckbeak has... Buckbeak has been sentenced to a trial. Yeah, a trial. So not to death yet. He's been sentenced to a trial. So they're talking about that, and Harry kind of feels bad that he was going to, like... Go off He's not going to bring up that yeah. yet. So they're trying to comfort Hagrid about that, and they were talking about the Dementors, and I feel like there's a really interesting quote about Dementors and Azkaban that kind of just plays into what I feel like Dementors just represent, like, depression a lot. Right. So Hagrid's, like, recalling his time in Azkaban, and he says, You have no idea. Never been anywhere like it. Thought I was going mad. Kept going over horrible stuff in me mind. The day I got expelled from Hogwarts, day me dad died, day I had to let Norbert go. His eyes filled with tears. Norbert was the baby dragon Hagrid had once won in a game of cards. You can't really remember who you are after a while, and you can't see the point of living at all. I used to hope I'd just die in me sleep. When they let me out, it was like being born again. Everything came flooding back. It was the best feeling in the world. Mind, the Dementors weren't keen on letting me go. So I feel like... J.K. Rowling definitely knows what it feels like to be depressed. Right. And that came out with, like, showing how people felt when Dementors were around and, like, not physically being able to, like, recall the good things in life and, like, the reasons why. Like, it's not so bad. And all you can think about are the bad things over and over and over again. And they affect everyone differently as depression affects everyone differently. And I, I think that's a really, you know huge and amazing thing that she picked up on was that Mm -hmm. you know depression does affect every single person differently it's gonna look different and between me and sam or like any of you and things just present themselves differently based on your past experiences and i feel like that's probably a reason why like sirius was able to like keep his mind in there Mm -hmm. it's because he was already well acquainted with with, like depression and like horrible living circumstances and he just already had such a strong like mind and willpower and he was so bright and he like focused on you know just like being happy and cheerful and playing jokes on people when he was with his friends that that was probably just like what kept him I well I think what kept him going when he was in Azkaban was just like revenge just kind of like Count of Monte Cristo you know like I don't know if anyone's ever read that book but it's a great book you should read it um but what keeps that guy going when he's in prison for something he didn't do it was just like revenge like i will like best these people and i will prove that i'm innocent or at least like get back at them that's like a total tangent so <laughs> i digress <laughs> um but yeah so i think that's very interesting i think that is part of jk Rowling's genius is that she knows how to write their effect um for different characters differently so then fast forward it's christmas 
Um, usual Christmas so far for Harry and Ron, getting presents from Mrs. Weasley. But then Harry gets a firebolt. And it's not given to him at the end with a feather, as it is in the movie. Um, It's Mm -hmm. given to him in secret. Um, There's a whole thing with the sneakoscope again. And then there's the feast. Mm -hmm. Which is just um, some Hogwarts professors. And Sybil Trelawney actually makes an entrance, which they weren't expecting her to come to the feast. Right. And that's where we get the quote when Dumbledore's like, hey, sit down, Sybil. And she says, well, she's going to, and then she stops suddenly, and she's like, I dare not, headmaster. If I join the table, we shall be 13. Nothing could be more unlucky. Never forget that when 13 dine together, the first to rise will be the first to die. And then McGonagall says, we'll risk it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be fine. But then Dumbledore is the first to stand, and he's the first to to die of that table. Yes, and then Hermione... Um, goes to McGonagall, expresses her concern about this firebolt that Harry has gotten. And we will leave you with this. <laughs> what did you go running to McGonagall for? Hermione threw her book aside. She was still pink in the face, but stood up and faced Ron defiantly. Because I thought, and Professor McGonagall agrees with me, that that broom was probably sent to Harry by Sirius Black. They think that Sirius sent him the broom, which he did, um, but that it could potentially be cursed and harm Harry. So, yeah. That is the first half of The Prisoner of Azkaban. Oof, I'm so glad we <laughs> made this two episodes. Yes, could you even imagine it'd be like a three-hour podcast if we did Right. All right. Um, so, yeah, we hope you enjoyed that. Next week, we will be watching the first half of The Prisoner of Azkaban movie and try to stop it at roughly the same point. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then in a few weeks, we will pick up with the second half. So, yeah, we hope you enjoy. Yeah. Um, just remember to follow us at HP Half Drunk on Instagram and Twitter and at Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast on Facebook. We are now in the Elite Eight. Yeah. It's yes. crazy. Of our mischief managed madness. There is some upsets happening, there are <laughs> some weird things happening. <laughs> Personally, I think, Hed- I hope Hedwig wins because I think that would be <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Well, my my bracket is busted IRL, so yeah, I mean, I'm a little upset today. Same. <laughs> my bracket's done. When North Carolina lost, my bracket was done. <laughs> but yeah, and then if you want to support us and become a patron, you can check us out on Patreon. We will be recording this week a bonus episode that we were given the idea for by one of our patrons. So if you want to hear that. Yeah, I'm super excited for that. Yes, it it's going to be a good one. So we'll hopefully have that too by next weekend. But yeah, so thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good week. Mischief managed.